Now then, we got a second lesson, and it's just a few verses. I'd like to include in the 139th Psalm some verses that are usually left out in the reading of this because they're a little difficult to understand, uh, but they're necessary. And uh, so if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow it, uh, I'm using the King James Version this morning for the simple reason that no matter what version I try to use, that's the way it'll come out. I memorized it this way. Let's start at about verse 19. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And then from chapter 4 of the Gospel according to John, where our Lord Jesus is interviewing, uh, talking to the woman at the well at verse 28. Then the woman left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man which told me all the things which ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came unto him. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. And now... Let's all pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for our fair Lord Jesus, and we bless You that He loved the little children and called them unto Himself and blessed them. And we thank You for each of these little boys and girls who have just sung for Your glory this day. We pray that You will help uh, them to come into a full knowledge of the Savior and be His good servant all their lives. And we pray that you will help those of us who are of riper years to be faithful in our responsibility to reflect good examples for them. Uh, bless uh, the gifts which we bring and use this money to bring glory to your name. Use it to bring help to people that are in need. Use it to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, our, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, I was thinking this morning, uh, with, by the way, if you want to turn to, to that selection 32 in the back of your hymnal, or if you don't have your Bible with you, if you've got your Bible, turn to the Psalm 139. Uh, today I'm going to have an outline because the Psalm is outlined. <laughs> It's, it's a, a beautiful uh, psalm, and uh, it's uh, got four, uh, four stanzas, we might call them, of six verses each that go through it. And uh, it expresses in each of these stanzas something that speaks to our hearts and makes us think that we could have almost written it ourselves uh, because it uh, reflects the personal faith 
of the psalmist in his God. Uh, we used to always sing an anthem with this, that uh, anthem that says, My God and I go in the fields together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands. Our voices ring with laughter. My God and I shall walk eternally. This uh, very much is uh, what this psalm is. It's a reflection of the experience of the psalmist in knowing his Lord. This morning, if you saw the paper, you saw the uh, news of the space shuttle and the two million miles that these men have traveled and now come back to the planet Earth. And uh, yet, uh, they could not go any place in the universe where God is not. And the psalmist is going to show this intimate experience with God, which should be all of our experiences with him. Uh, the first stanza of this wonderful hymn begins, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. That's interesting. The psalmist is smart enough to know that if there was not a thou, that is God, there would not be a me. What gives meaning to your life? What really gives meaning to your life? You need to think about that for a little while. Uh, some of you saw the film Gandhi recently. Mr. Gandhi said one thing that uh, ought to make those of us who are Christians think. He was not a Christian, never claimed to be. Uh, but uh, Mr. Gandhi said this. He said uh, uh, to his Indian friends, he said, no matter what your friends from the West may say they believe, in their creed or in their words, their real God is money. Now, what is God in your life? How real is God? What brings meaning to your existence? The psalmist says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. We call this the omniscience of God, that God knows all things. But omniscience is an abstract noun. I almost said a Presbyterian noun. <laughs> They're famous for a big word. Um, uh, the important thing to remember is not that God knows all things, but that God knows me. The experience of God in my own life. An experience which has altered my way of living and thinking and which gives direction and purpose to what I do and say. If we do not have such an experience with God, then we go through a formality 
in worship, but we have no real faith in any real and living God. The words of the creed, which we said this morning, are words that are expressive of God's great and gracious acts for our salvation. But does it really make any difference to us that Jesus actually died for our sins? As the choir sang in the prelude to prayer, if it does, then it will make a difference in whether we abandon ourselves to sin or not. For what caused Jesus to die upon the cross will not be something that we seek out for pleasure. And so the psalmist gains greatly by thinking about the fact that God knows him, that God always sees him, that he knows when he gets up in the morning, that he knows what he will be doing in the course of the day, that he hears every word that he says, that he knows everything that he does. And so he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. But it gives meaning to my life when I realize that of all of the billions of people on the planet Earth, that God knows me and that God has taken the trouble to reveal himself to me and that he draws me unto himself and he wants others, every creature whom he has made, all of the people in the whole world he wants to speak to and to reach and to draw unto himself. And so he is overwhelmed with this knowledge. Thou knowest, thou knowest, me. And then he comes to the second stanza. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. That is that there is no place that he can go where he will be away from God. If I understand that God knows me, he gives meaning to my existence, just as my wife and my children give meaning to my existence in my house, just as a little child's father and mother give meaning to their existence. So when I know that God knows me, that brings meaning to my existence because I know I'm being watched, I'm being listened to, I am being loved, and I have a responsibility that must respond to that. And then even greater than this is the gracious fact that this God who knows me is going with me no matter where I go. I was showing John Hillsman my old Bible, this old Bible which was given to Dorothy and me when we got married back in 1951. And uh, I remember going years ago out to the Congo and I wrote something in the margin while I was out there when I was having my devotion. It seemed a strange thing to me when I got on the airplane uh, in New York to fly out there to realize that God had already beat me <laughs> and that when I landed out there that God was already there. 
and uh, the fact that he went with me no matter where I went in the world uh, brought a great deal of comfort to me. I made a long trip by myself at that time, and I can remember that feeling that God is with me no matter where I go. When you saw those men the other day on television uh, tethered to their spacecraft, uh, but in those multi-million dollar space suits, uh, you saw a remarkable accomplishment of man's knowledge. But the marvelous fact is that they know, at least some of them I assume, that God is there. And that makes them to know that in the vast expanse of the universe, God is still at work, and he is working there. He is working in their hearts. And uh, uh, it makes us to be comfortable uh, with the great expanse and the knowledge of man. We don't have to be afraid because God is still in control. Uh, I remember going through the British Museum many, many years ago, 30 or more years ago, uh, and there was a section of the museum that was given over to old maps. And there were, uh, the old cardiographers hated to admit that's a map maker. They hated to admit that they didn't know something and that they didn't know where it was and there were areas, you know, they, they would go out so far and it wasn't mapped and they couldn't say what was there. So they would write in, dragons be here, goblins be here, serpents be here, monsters be here. Uh, they didn't know that, but they knew that they didn't know what was out there so they figured it must be bad and they just wrote that in. And they actually had one map where some Christian uh, map maker had uh, struck through those awesome forbidding things and had written, God be here, God be here, God be here. And that's what the psalmist is seeking to impart to us here. That if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy right hand hold me. The wings of the morning is a metaphor, and thy right hand is a metaphor. Personal faith. God has a personal knowledge of me, and I have a knowledge of him. When our Westminster Catechism was being drawn up, in the early 1600s or in the 1640s, when George Gillespie was asked to pray because they could not come up with a definition of God, and he stood and offered that prayer, young George Gillespie, 29 years old, from Scotland, said, O oh God, thou who art infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in thy being, wisdom, justice, goodness, holiness, power, and truth, hear us when we pray to thee. And when he stopped the prayer, they said, Write that down. That's a good definition. Well, we really can't define God. We can put his attributes uh, down. But do we know him? Do we have the experience of him? And here, the psalmist is overwhelmed by the fact that God knows all things and God knows him. God not only knows him, but God is with him everywhere he may go. No matter if he ascends up into heaven as the astronauts have ascended, 
he can say that God is there, or if he takes the wings of the morning and goes to the uttermost parts of the sea, he can say God is there. And then there is a verse which is a great deal of comfort to little children often. Yes, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Isn't that a comfort? That God is never in the dark. Now we have lights in so many different places and lighting is so easily to come by that it's hard for us to appreciate this. But I can still remember as a, a young boy out on a Texas farm in the country, back in the days before rural electrification came in, you talk about dark. It was dark out in the country. And what you had was a coal oil lamp. And it was smoky. And if you tried to change it and you got a hold of the chimney too quick and it burned your hands and you dropped it, which I did every now and then, uh, then you didn't have any light in the house for a while till you could get into town and get another one. And that wasn't until next Saturday. Uh, and darkness, out uh, when you're way out in the darkness and you can really see the sky, then you can really appreciate something like uh, we see here. The darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. That's a great thing uh, to remember. Uh, Nathaniel was surprised when Jesus approached him and said that he had seen him when he was under a fig tree meditating and thinking. And Nathaniel must have thought this indeed is the Messiah because those are words that he expressed to Jesus at that time. Then in verse 13 comes a very important verse for us today. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I have a new book that's gone through about 12 printings called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by a distinguished physician and surgeon. And uh, in it, he makes the title of his book come from this part of this psalm. And this should give us pause to think about really the terrible crime and horror of abortion, that God is with that life from the moment of conception, when that life is being knit together. God is there. God is the author of life. God knows all the possibilities locked up in that life, and he knows all the horrors of people who destroy and kill that innocent little life. And it may well be that just as Mr. Lincoln warned America in the days of the Civil War, that because of the terrors of slavery, that just as the lash had exacted blood from the back of the black man in causing him to work, and that slavery was wrong, that so God had left the awful scourge of war come to this country to drive us to repentance. 
And it may be that enough infants will be murdered until the place that God will one day purge us with nuclear war to remind us that he is a just God and that his wrath will come upon those who destroy innocent life. It's something for us to think about, and it's a very serious thing. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought. Thine eyes did see me, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my days were written. God has plans for that unborn infant, in when it, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! He knows that God knows all things, and God knows him. That God is everywhere present, he is everywhere present with him. He knows also that God is all-powerful because God has made all things. He is the author and the giver of life. God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all things, visible and invisible. God is the creator. Man so often is the destroyer. And so here we are brought face to face with that. And he wants us to understand that that we are dealing with an all-powerful God. Now, he is overwhelmed by these thoughts of the all-powerful God, but God's purposes will be worked out no matter what man does. Man thinks his puny things are going to uh, accomplish everything. Uh, God's purposes will be worked. I found an illustration that so well shows how God's plans succeed from year to year and that they will be accomplished even without human support. We believe in our church in the doctrine of predestination. We believe in God's power and his sovereignty over the whole universe. And this brings us to the fact that God has a plan, as we said a moment ago, even for that little unborn baby. The pride of fallen man makes him think that he uh, has got to be in this in some unusually way. And I found a, a, a preacher that I used to go and hear years ago. He had been to Spain, and uh, he had been to Madrid, and just outside of uh, Madrid, there is a, a, a cathedral, uh, the Escorial, I think is the way they pronounce it. This is where the Spanish kings uh, have traditionally been buried. It's an old monastery uh, where uh, the Augustinians, the same order that produced Martin Luther, are. And the kings of Spain for centuries were always there, and 
there was an architect who designed the uh, building and he made an arch that was so flat that the king thought the arch would cave in. And so the king had a pillar built up to hold the arch up. He was afraid of the flatness of the arch. The architect begged him not to put the pillar up, that it would ruin his beautiful uh, flat arch. And the king said, no, he didn't care how much calculations he had made. He wanted that pillar there to hold that arch up that it wouldn't hold. And so finally the king died. And after he was dead, then the architect left instructions that people <laughs> were to go up there and see that, that the pillar didn't touch the arch at any place. He had left a little distance in between it. And I think uh, that's a good illustration of the fact that uh, God's purposes will be accomplished whether or not we build our puny little pillar to hold it up. Uh, God will work his purposes out as year succeeds to year. God knows everything. He knows me. And uh, he has discovered himself to me. God is always present, no matter where I may go. God is all-powerful. He made all things. And God is all-righteous. His law, the Torah, the rock that's thrown to measure. You couldn't play a football game without sidelines and goalposts. You have to have rules. And God has rules. And God has something to say about what is right and what is wrong. That's why he gave the Ten Commandments, which were revealed to Moses, which are great in their wisdom, still great in their wisdom. God gave us four commandments that deal with our relationship with him, a transitional commandment that deals with our relationship to our father and mother, our parents, which, who are his representatives. And then he gave us commandments to deal with our relationship with each other. When we violate those commandments, we enter into a world of chaos and trouble. And that trouble is what we see today every time we turn on a newscast, practically. The trouble is there. And so God speaks about, the psalmist here speaks about right and wrong. The psalmist says, Surely thou wilt slay wicked men, O God. Now, there are a lot of, uh, I noticed in our unison, our responsive reading this morning, this section is always left out uh, because it seems so incongruous that this beautiful psalm should suddenly have this terrible uh, uh, passage put in it. But the psalmist sees something which man does not like to see. Man does not like to see the difference between right and wrong. He'd much rather have a blur. That's why in New Bedford, Massachusetts, a woman can be gang-raped in a bar and people cheer, the other people on. And there's no law. 
that says that any of them have to get up and help. No law that says that anyone has to go and summons help. We saw the Attorney General for Massachusetts trying to make some explanation of it. This is the decadence that comes when you do not recognize the difference between right and wrong. And if there were no right and no wrong, Jesus would never have died on a cross. There would have been no need for it. But the psalmist knows there is a right and there is a wrong, and he wants to be on the side of God. And so if it's like opening the door of a blast furnace to see these fiery verses come out, then open it and feel the heat of it because he is angry with that which is wicked, which has gone contrary to the law of God. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. And then he says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? This means that he wants to be identified with the righteousness of God in his opposition to wickedness. Tomorrow night, uh, tonight, or uh, Leighton Ford begins a crusade in Charlotte. And I'll, he is one of my best friends, and I hope our radio friends in Charlotte will go to that crusade, and I hope some of us here can go. I will never forget once when Leighton got off an airplane in uh, uh, Edinburgh in Scotland and I'd gone out to meet him at the airport because we were living uh, in Scotland at that time in Edinburgh and he was in Europe and, and had called me and so I went out to the airport and, and met him when he came in and he stayed at our place and we visited and when he got off the plane he said my I was I had a very uh, shaking conversation with a man on the airplane he said, I tried to witness to him about faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, the man said, don't talk to me about God and don't talk to me about Jesus Christ because I am a Jew. And I know what happened to six million Jews in Europe. And there couldn't be any God. And there couldn't be any right or wrong. And he said, what would you say to that? And I said, if there isn't any God, then there wouldn't be any right or wrong. And it wouldn't make any difference whether you kill six million Jews or 50 million unborn babies. It doesn't make any difference. But because there is a God who will judge what is right and what is wrong, we'd better get in step with his commandments and we had better obey him. He has taught us the difference between right and wrong, and so the psalmist wishes to be identified uh, with that righteousness of God. Now, if he has stated his case in what some assume to be a pharisaical manner, he ends it with a tender prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see how humble that is?
Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. If he has spoken rashly, uh, he's willing right there to be corrected. I can remember when we were in Scotland, uh, all thunderation broke loose on the 5th of November. The fireworks went up in the air, and I couldn't figure out what in the world was going. We lived across the street from a park called the Meadows. And uh, uh, their equivalent to what we have over here called Halloween comes on November the 5th. And you know what it is? It's an anniversary of the gunpowder plot. That happened back in 1605, just six years before the King James Version of the Bible was being translated. And if you think people take politics a little rough now and that Watergate was terrible, you ought to know what a guy by the name of Guy, G-U-I, Guy Fox, F-A-W-K-E-S, did. He was a rather militant Roman Catholic. And uh, when the Stuarts uh, came back in power, uh, he wanted to get rid of Parliament. And when I mean get rid of Parliament, I mean get rid of Parliament. He rented a cellar right next door to the House of Parliament. And it took him a whole year. And he had to dig through a wall that was 10 feet thick. But he did, he and some of his friends. And they put 30 barrels of gunpowder under the House of Parliament. And it was their intention to blow up the House of Parliament and all the people therein because they didn't approve of them. But being a good Roman Catholic, he warned his Roman Catholic friends that it would be well that they didn't show up for Parliament on that day. And so some of them who were better Roman Catholics went to confession and said that this wasn't a good idea. And the word got out. And so they went and discovered the gunpowder plot, and it was uh, uh, defused <laughs> in the literal sense of the word. And do you know, till this day, when Parliament meets, they have uh, on Guy Fawkes Day a ceremony where the sergeant at arms comes forward with the guard, and he goes through all of the places down in the basement and comes back up and announces uh, to the speaker, uh, that uh, it's safe to go ahead and convene the parliament and start for business. Well, now, why did I tell you that? They search for any lurking danger that might exist. And the psalmist is saying, Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Do you ever search your heart to see if in your heart there is lying if in your heart there is dishonesty, if in your heart there are purposes which are wrong, search me, O God, he says, and try me and know my thoughts. Because if we have wickedness in our heart, the Lord will not hear us when we pray. We're not under his lordship. We're under our own lordship. But the psalmist is making a beautiful prayer. Search me. Go through and search out and see if there's anything there that's separating you from God. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
And then we come to that passage I read from the Gospel of John. And you see the Lord Jesus and that woman at the well to whom he has revealed himself as the Messiah. I've often thought of how wonderful it was to see Jesus go from having spoken in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, a distinguished member uh, of the Sanhedrin and a great and knowledgeable theologian to a woman who had been married many times and was living with a person who was not her husband and showing himself to her as the Messiah, revealing himself to her. And she is overwhelmed by this when she discovers that he knows all about her. Because you remember, he said to her, go call your husband. And she said, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have rightly spoken, you have no husband, you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. In this you spoke correctly. And then she said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> and Jesus, then she began to say one day Messiah would come. And then Jesus said, I that speak to thee am he. I am the Messiah. Now he revealed himself in a personal way to her. And this psalmist uses the personal pronouns for God. Thou is used uh, eleven times, thine three times, thy eight times, and thee eight times. That's thirty times a personal pronoun is used. And the psalmist refers to himself fifty times in Psalm 139. He refers to me, my, mine, and I. Fifty times. Now, that's a personal faith. Is your faith in God and in the Lord Jesus that personal? This woman ran into the city, and she said the key to all that I've been trying to say. Come and see a man who told me all the things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ. She had come to believe that this was the Christ. Now he knows all about each one of us here and all who are listening. And he wants to reveal himself to us as Savior. And he wants to be Lord of our lives. Are we willing to let him be Lord? Let's bow in prayer. O oh God, our Father, we can see with the psalmist that our only hope is in the fact that you know us better than we know ourselves. We sometimes surprise ourselves at the awful things that we do, but we're not any shock to you. You know us, and therein lies our hope, because you have made provision for our salvation through Jesus Christ. Help us to yield our lives to his trust, so that he may take us unto himself and be our Lord and cleanse us from sin and lead us in the way everlasting. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ 
that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be all glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. <laughs> 